Welcome back to these video classes, 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That's 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. Before we move into that section, let's talk about transition. Peter has been discussing how to respond to hostility and difficulty while maintaining righteous conduct. And Peter teaches us that Christ is the supreme example of how to live right and do right, even when you're not being treated right. Further, this verse, verse 18, gives one of the Bible's shortest, simplest, and richest summaries of the meaning of the cross. Listen again, verse 18 in 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Statements like this should be regarded as expressing the very heart of the gospel and thus the very core of our faith and reason for our hope. You want a good verse to memorize? Put this on your list. It has become the subject of many poems and hymns and the text for thousands of sermons. This can be a useful passage when you're talking to people about the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at it in a very simple way. Fact. Christ died. No objective student of history denies that Christ died. Even those who do not follow him but study the history of the first century admit that Christ died. So that historical fact is given. There were non-Christian writers and historians who read the New Testament documents and other writings of the period, and they came to the conclusion, expressing no doubt, that Jesus died. We accept New Testament testimony that Jesus died. So that's a historical fact. Why did he die? for sins. We believe he had no sin. We remember 
not too long ago when we were in chapter 2, verse 22. It says he committed no sin. Again, I'll say, objective secular historians are like Pilate. They cannot find fault in him. So he died, but not for his sins. He died for the sins of the world, making it possible for sinners to be forgiven. With just our record of good works, we fall short. But even if we were to claim our good works, what about our bad works? The wrong things we've done or thought. Romans 3.23 issues the verdict that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we cannot earn, we do not deserve salvation on our own. Jesus died as an expression of the grace of God for us, his mercy, bearing our sins in his death. The penalty for our sins, he bore. Now, this next part is important. How many times did this happen? Once for all. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 28, note the contrast in Hebrews 9 between the repeated animal sacrifices and the singular sacrifice of Christ. The animal sacrifices brought to the altar by the Jews under the law of Moses had to be repeated over and over. That process was repetitious. Jesus died once for all. How did he die? I'm sorry. Who did he die for? The unjust, the unrighteous. For us who do not have sufficient good works and have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The purpose that he might bring us to God. Our greatest need is to be brought into good relationship with our Creator. Our greatest need is to be brought into a good relationship with our Creator. Jesus died to make that possible. Another question, what was the personal outcome for Christ? It says here, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. I'm telling you that 1 Peter 3.18 is the reason for our hope. This is our defense. This is the motive behind our good behavior in Christ. This is why we are able to be children of God and anticipate a home in heaven. This is why people need the gospel. This is why we preach the gospel. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, the next part of this, the next part of this immediately conveys to the reader a sense of mystery or intrigue, or it may seem to be so difficult it's outside our intellectual reach. 
So let's take it step by step, and we may find that this is not as deep or complicated as we first thought. 1 Peter 3, I'm going to continue in verse 19 and read through verse 22. 1 Peter 3, 19 through 22. In fact, let me, let me change that. Let me go back at 18, and I'll read 18 to 22, and then we'll go back and interrogate the text. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now let's go back and take the difficult part of this and let's approach it through some very simple questions. What did Christ do? He went and preached, verse 19. How did he do this preaching? By the Spirit. To whom did he preach? The spirits in prison. Those who, when Peter wrote this, were in the prison house of Hades, Tartarus, according to Luke 16, 23, and 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. When did Christ preach to them? In the days of Noah, during the time the ark was being constructed. The NIV says, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. So, Peter is giving this information that the preaching that was done in the days of Noah was Christ preaching by the Holy Spirit to the people of that time. When Peter wrote this, those who heard that preaching but did not obey it were in prison, in the prison house of Hades. They were and are in the bad place called Tartarus, awaiting final judgment. That's my present understanding of this text. All right, let's take 18 to 22 again, but now we're going to focus on 21 and 22. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Now, whatever may seem to confound us in verses 19 and 20, 
There is a statement in verse 21 that cannot be denied or disputed. It is utterly simple. Baptism now saves you. So we've learned that Christ is the remedy. He saves us in that primary redemptive sense. Verse 18, his death on the cross is the remedy, the redemptive price. We apply that remedy when our faith becomes active and obedient in baptism. Therefore, baptism now saves us. Notice the phrase corresponding to that, or in the NIV, this water symbolizes. Water was an element in the salvation of the eight in the days of Noah. Water is an element in the salvation of sinners today. Baptism now saves us. Further clarification, what is baptism? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now there's another part of this. Where is Christ now? He's at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So this is where Christ is now. He's at the right hand of God. This is the position he occupies, as announced by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.33, as affirmed by Paul in Ephesians 1.20-23. 20 I want to dig a little deeper into verse 22. Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He died, was raised from the dead, then ascended into heaven. That's the testimony of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 which has become the starting place when we study with people about the church's beginning. You remember the last Sunday morning, well, uh, if, if you were listening to the video from last Sunday morning, I spoke last Sunday morning in the sermon about the helpful sequence of the New Testament books. Who is Jesus Christ? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How do we respond to him? Read the book of Acts. And when you come to Acts chapter 1 and 2, Luke and Peter affirm that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. This needs to be a fundamental part of our faith. And it is the truth that we convey to others from the book of Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11, and chapter 2, 29 to 33. Christ has gone into heaven. That's our passage, 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. I have some takeaways. Stay with me. If, as Peter wrote, suffering for doing good is a blessing, there will never be an occasion where suffering excuses disobedience. And this is one of the main themes in 1 Peter. Your life will never get so bad that you're justified in disobeying God. When we suffer, 
when we focus on our pain and difficulties, when we are not treated right by people, our example of how to react to that is Jesus Christ. Just keep going back to that example. Get focused on it, on him. Nobody on earth has ever been treated as unjustly as Jesus was treated, yet he did not return evil for evil. Following him faithfully, we are able to undergo trials without bitterness and revenge, but we continue to do what's right. Baptism, scripturally conceived, is the answer or response of a good conscience toward God. Let's talk about that. Your conscience is that part of you that the Creator put in you that confirms you are doing right or confirms you're doing wrong. In order for the conscience to function as God intended, it has to be informed or programmed by his word. So I read the word of God and I see in the word of God that baptism is what I need to do. When I'm baptized, that act of obedience is the answer of a good conscience toward God. That also means to know what God says about baptism and not be baptized you will not have a good conscience until you are. This is one of the most important passages about baptism in the New Testament. Next time, we'll move into chapter 4. Thank you for listening. These video Bible classes are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas.